Revelation chapter 1. We're going to pick up in verse 9. And this is kind of ominous for me because this is the last text I taught before I ended up in the hospital. So we're praying that doesn't happen again. Amen? All right. But I will say this is a fantastic part of Scripture. Uh, just real brief background again on Revelation. Revelation, the word is also apocalypse, and it means the unveiling. And it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, the unveiling of Jesus. It helps us to get to know Jesus in a better way. We see the earthly Jesus who came from heaven to earth in the Gospels. We see him being born a, in, you know, of a virgin. We see him living a sinless, perfect, holy life. We then see him uh, being the example for all of us and then suffering at the cross of Calvary and then raising from the dead and ascending back into heaven. And so we see him as the suffering servant in the Gospels. But what we're going to see in the book of Revelation is we see him in his heavenly state. We see how great and awesome and powerful he really is. And we also see that not only is he the suffering servant, but he is the righteous judge. Now again, this book is filled with prophecy and the end of human government, the rapture, the great tribulation, the rise of the Antichrist, the second coming of Christ. But again, the real main focus of this book is to unveil the person and character of Jesus Christ. He was veiled in his first coming. You know, when he went to the Mount Transfiguration, they got a glimpse, glimpse of him unveiled. If you remember that, he took Peter, James, and John and kind of showed himself in his glorified state. And they were blown away, and they should be. But that's what this book does. It really shows us Jesus beyond that veiled state he was in when he came the first time. So from suffering Savior to righteous judge, and again, from taking all the sin of mankind upon himself to bringing righteous judgment upon those who would reject him. So if you're a note taker this morning, I've titled the message, Getting to Know Jesus in a Deeper Way. And these are the points we're going to look at as we go through the text. How do we get to know Jesus in a deeper way? Number one, by remaining steadfast in his word. Even in the midst of trials and persecution, remaining steadfast in his word. Number two, by walking in the spirit, by being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Guys, it's impossible to live a godly life in your own power. Amen? And the reason we struggle is we walk in the flesh. And the Bible tells us we battle between the spirit and the flesh every single day. And the only way we're going to walk a victorious Christian walk is to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Number three, to getting to know Jesus in a deeper way, by listening for his voice. Number four, by seeing Jesus for who he is in all of his glory. Number five, by coming to him in brokenness and desperation. Guys, when we come to the Lord, we come desperate broken, recognizing his greatness. We should be humbled by the fact that we're even drawing near to his presence. Number six, by allowing him to minister to you. And then finally, by heeding his instructions. And those instructions are to share what we've learned with others. So we've got a lot of verses here that are very thick. So let's get to it. Getting to know Jesus in a deeper way. First, by remaining steadfast in the word, even in the midst of trials. And boy, that ought to be automatic. If you're going through a tough time right now, can I encourage you to spend more time in the Word? Amen? If if everything's great, spend more time in the Word, no matter what's going on in your life. So let's begin there in verse 9. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation. Now what I love about John, John knew firsthand. He's the author of of this letter as we've been talking about. He wrote the Gospel of John in 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, and he had a very intimate relationship with the Lord. But he's writing to a church 
that at that time is in the midst of great tribulation. And John knew what it was like firsthand to endure persecution. While the only apostle that John would be the only apostle to die a natural death. All the other apostles were put to death for their faith. But it wasn't a lack of trying on the enemy's part. Domitian, who was the ruler after Caesar after Nero, was a wicked persecutor of Christians. And, and according to Christian tradition, as we've talked about the last few weeks, in an effort to punish and persecute and silence John, he boiled him in oil. But you know, as we've said before, you're indestructible until God's through with you. Amen? And God wasn't through with John, so he didn't die. So Domitian said, man, I can't kill this guy. What in the world am I going to do with him? I can't let him loose because he keeps telling people about Jesus. I've got to put a stop to this. So he puts him out on an, uh, basically a penal colony, out on an island, the island of Patmos, which was 10 miles long and 6 miles wide. And it was basically a quarry, a rock quarry, where all the prisoners would work in these mines all day long. It was a miserable existence. And you've got to understand that at the time, John was probably close to 90 years old. So he's working in a rock quarry all day. Why is he there? Because he's being faithful to the Lord. But you know what? I, I absolutely believe this to be true. It's easier to receive from somebody who's going through what we've gone through or has gone, has gone through what we're going through. Amen? Doesn't it encourage you when someone, you can say, well, boy, you don't understand. Well, no, yes, I do. I've been right where you are. And John's letting them know, I know you're going through a tough time, but so am I. And I want you to know in the midst of all of it, God is faithful even in the midst of the most difficult things that can come your way. So I just love how God works because Domitian thought he was trying to keep uh, John from furthering the kingdom of God, so he puts him out on an island. So what does God do? He uses him on that island to give us this book that's in our lap this morning, this book of Revelation. And God uses this book in a mighty and a powerful way. You know, it's foolish to fight against God, amen? You know, the world thinks they're silencing the word of God. The word of God will never be silenced. Amen? Amen? You can't shut God up. His plan will be fulfilled. That doesn't mean the enemy's not going to try, and he is trying. But praise God that God's word will be fulfilled. So John is the pastor to these precious persecuted saints. As tough times had indeed hit the church, it wasn't easy or popular to be a Christian. Again, we talked about the burning of Rome and the Christians being blamed. They're being fed to lions and burnt alive. And now Domitian is taking that persecution and kicked it up and made it even worse to anybody who would not renounce their faith. Next time you think you're being persecuted, let's think about those first century Christians. Amen? So for these early Christians, persecution torture, martyrdom. These were not just possibilities. They were a daily reality. And John's saying, look, I'm not just standing out here telling you how you should respond to trials. I want you to know I'm right in the midst of it with you. He was not a disconnected bystander, but a brother and companion in suffering and in persecution. He not only knew exactly what his readers were going through, he was going through it himself. And then he says, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom, and patience of Jesus Christ. John shared with them in the tribulation, but here's the good news, guys. Not just the tribulation, but praise God, that also the kingdom. Guys, when we go through trials and difficulties and suffering, the way that we can endure and remain faithful is to remember what the end result is going to be. 
Guys, here's the reality. If you've been born again this morning, you are going to heaven. Amen? And it doesn't matter what the world does to us in the meantime. Heaven is a promise that can never be taken away from us. And it ought to encourage us and strengthen us no matter what we're going through because one day we're going to be around the throne, around that crystal sea, and we're going to see our Savior face to face. And there's going to be no more pain and no more sorrow and no more suffering and no more death and no more taxes and no more economy and none of that stuff. It's all going to go away and we're going to be with him, worshiping him forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Guys, that just should take the, the burden of this temporary life away when we recognize what eternity is going to be like. As Christians, we share not only in trials, but in the coming rewards. It says this in Romans, The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and of children then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. So praise God, that we have the privilege to suffer for his sake. But praise God that one day we're all going to be with him forever. At the end of that sentence there, he says, and patience of Jesus Christ. We have the promise of the heavenly kingdom, but we also have the patience. That word patience there means endurance or perseverance. You know, Jesus is both the source of their ability to persevere as well as the example to follow. You know, he is the one that gives us the ability to persevere. We don't persevere because we just suck it up, right? Well, I'm going to persevere. I'm just going to, you know, I'm I'm macho. I'm just going to, you know, I'm not going to waver. Guys, if we try not to waver in our own strength, forget it. But when we come to the place and we recognize without him, we can do nothing. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? And so when you're in the midst of the trial, and it is overwhelming, and there are times when you're going to be discouraged, And there may be times when you even feel depressed. That's because we've taken our eyes off of the Lord and we've put them on our circumstances. When we take our eyes back off of those and put them back on the Lord, again, you've heard me say this many times, our trials are only great if our God is small. But because our God is great, our trials are small. Amen? In comparison to who he is. And so he's encouraging them that, you know, I'm with you in the tribulations. I'm with you in the reward that is coming, but also the perseverance of walking this Christian walk. To be an example, Jesus is our example to follow, and for whose sake we must be willing to suffer for him. You know, my prayer for me, my prayer for all of us, is that the Lord would give us the eternal perspective and the unwavering faithfulness as our Lord did when he went to the cross in our place suffering the shame, enduring the cross for the glory that was set before him. Guys, this is but light affliction in comparison to the glory which is to come. No matter what we're going through, it's nothing compared to the reward on the other side. Now, then he goes on to say, speaking of himself, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. John's exile being sent to basically an island prison, you know, Alcatraz, if you will, put out on an island. Why? Because of his open and bold proclamation of the truth of God's word and his unwavering testimony of the truth of who Jesus is. He would not waver. We're going to boil you in oil. You, in oil. you know, I could almost hear John say, hey, if you kill me, I'll be in heaven. 
the worst thing the world can do to me is the best thing that could happen to me. So bring it on. Amen. In reality, as Christians with an eternal perspective, we can look at the trials of this life and see them as light affliction in comparison to the glory which is to come. John was one who had walked with Jesus. He had seen him face to face. He had walked with him for three years and nothing or no one, there was no threat that would keep him from proclaiming the truth. He was banished to Patmos. The word put him where he was, but the word also made him who he was. He was a man of the word. John's testimony of Christ is not over yet. He's already written the gospels, and, but there's still more to be proclaimed. He proclaimed what he had seen at the cross with boldness, and now he's about to share with his persecuted Christian brothers and sisters his deeper revelation of the person of Christ. John, what he heard and what he saw in the revelation, he's going to share it with everyone else. So getting to know Jesus in a deeper way. You know, the Bible refers to Jesus as the Word, right? John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And then you get to John 1.14, and it said, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the Word. If you want to get to know Jesus in a deeper way, be steadfast in the Word. Second, by walking in the Spirit, by being sensitive to the Spirit. Verse 10, I was in the Spirit, this is John still speaking, on the Lord's day. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. What does John mean he was in the Spirit? A couple ways of looking at this. Both of them are applicable to a sense, but in context, I'll tell you which one I believe is most accurate. He could just say, I'm walking in the power of the Holy Spirit on Sunday, on the Lord's day. And that would be accurate way of looking at it. But I believe it has a deeper meaning than that. He was in the dimension of the spiritual world, transported to a time known as the day of the Lord. The Bible talks about the great day of the Lord. And basically, this verse could be translated, I was in the spirit unto the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord is the time of the end time judgment that is coming. Joel 2.31 says this, The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming and great and awesome day of the Lord. One commentator defined it this way, in the spirit. Carried beyond normal sense into a state where God can reveal supernaturally the contents of this book. And I believe this definition in the spirit fits the context of this book best. Now, four times we're going to see in Revelation it talking about John being in the spirit. On Pat, it talks about it on Patmos, in heaven, in Revelation chapter 4, in the wilderness, and on the mountain of God. So God is revealing by his Holy Spirit the truth, and he's using his faithful servant, John. You've heard me say this before. God is not looking for a new message or a new method. You know what he's looking for? Men and women like John who will simply be faithful to share the truth of God's word. Guys, we have divine appointments every week. You meet people I won't. I meet people you won't. It's a humbling thing to think that God would allow us to be the ones to speak for him. You know, he could open up heaven and have angels just, he could just open up heaven himself and go, you need to repent, couldn't he? He's God, he could do it. But he doesn't, he chooses to use us. And it's humbling when you think about it, but it's also an awesome responsibility, isn't it? That we have just this vapor of time to be used for his glory. And the only way we can be used in an effective way is if we walk in the spirit. Now, not only by 
remaining steadfast in the word and by walking in the spirit do we get to know Jesus better, but by listening to his voice. Look at the rest of that verse. And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Now a trumpet has a distinct, distinct sound and it was used by the children of Israel to attract everyone's attention. It was a call to battle to gather them together for an important, important announcement. And John hears a loud voice behind him with a very distinct and attention-grabbing sound that could not be ignored. You know, when God speaks, it ought to get our attention. Amen? And John is there, and he's in the Spirit, and he hears from behind him a loud voice as the voice of a trumpet, and it gets his attention. You know, one of my many faults and i'm sure we all struggle with it at times god is speaking and we're not listening who else has been guilty of that in here guys people say well i'm not hearing from the lord that's not his fault (laughs) amen well i'm just not hearing from the lord these days i'm not hearing from the lord you know uh open your ears get the wax out amen as my grandma used to say get the wax out of your ears when i wasn't listening and you know i want to tell you that there is God, I believe God is speaking to us all the time. And if we are going to hear him, we need to listen. And John heard the voice of a, he heard the sound of a trumpet. It got his attention. And now he's going to listen. And here's what the voice said. The trumpet, the loud voices of a trumpet. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. We're 10 verses into this book, and this is the third time we've seen this. Who is the Alpha and the Omega? Jesus Christ. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, to, which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. So the Lord begins to speak. The beginning and the end of all things. Again, this is a title for deity. It's Jesus used to refer to himself back in verse 8. So Jesus is speaking. He's in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. He hears this sound behind him, and the voice begins to speak, and he recognizes immediately that it is the voice of the Lord. He tells John that what he is about to see isn't to be kept a secret, but it's to be written down and shared with the seven churches in Asia. Guys, Our faith is not to be kept a secret. Amen? You know, we live in a world today that would like for us to keep it to ourselves. I've I've been told that before, have you? Dude, keep it to yourself, man. I'm happy for you. I'm glad that's working for you. Keep it to yourself. But that's not what we're supposed to do. We have the antidote to the death serum. People all around us are dying without uh, without our Savior. And they're all going to stand before Him one day. And we need to let them know that he loves them, that he's a gracious God, that he paid the price for their sin, that they can be born again, that they too can have eternity in heaven. And we should never deliver that that because, you know, we're self-righteous and we've got to figure it out and you're still knucklehead. No, they're in captivity to their sin, just like we were. We're one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. And we're not to keep it a secret. Why would we want to keep it a secret? Guys, if, we, if, one of you, if somebody in here won $100 million in the lottery, you'd probably tell a few of your friends. Guys, we've been born again. It's way better than winning $100 million in the lottery. And we ought to not be ashamed of it, but be excited about it. So the letters to the seven churches, we talked about this last week, seven, the number of completeness, symbolizes that this revelation is for the church as a whole. 
So he hears this loud and distinct and attention-grabbing voice and receiving both his identification and command. John does what most of us would do. He's going to turn around and look. So he hears this voice. It tells him, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, It's the Lord, and what you hear, you need to share it with the seven churches. Don't keep it to yourself. Give it away. So the next point in getting to know Jesus in a deeper way, by seeing Jesus for who he is in all of his glory. Look at verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. This thought occurred to me. Again, the Lord speaks, but we need to respond. I've heard you, I know you've heard me share this before. One of my favorite hymns is, Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We need to get our eyes off of the world, get our eyes out of the mirror and on ourselves, and turn and put our eyes on Jesus Christ. And here's John, midst of trials. Let's not forget that. He's on the island of Patmos. He's a 90-year-old man out mining rocks all day in the heat. And then he comes back, and he hears from the Lord, and he sits down, and he's writing down the revelation. He's keeping his eyes on Jesus in the midst of, of a difficult time. If we're ignoring his voice, it's time to stop and turn and look to him. You can only imagine what went through John's mind as he recognized Jesus' voice. Got to remember, again, that he turned to look at the one he had walked with for three years, and he hadn't seen him in 60. He walked with Jesus for three years. He laid his head on his chest at the Last Supper. He was the last one there at the cross. He was the only one of the apostles that was there. He was the one told, you know, take care of my mother, my earthly mother. And here's John, this one with this intimate relationship with the Lord. Refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. I believe out of humility and being blown away that the Lord would love him. He hasn't seen him in 60 years and he hears his voice and he recognizes it. And can you imagine the anticipation as he turned to look at the Savior? Wow. But guess what? He's going to look a little different this time. You know, when Jesus was on earth, He had veiled his glory to a certain extent. He'd taken on humanity. But now when he sees Jesus, he's going to see him in all his glory. And it's going to grip John like nothing ever has before. Again, this book is the revealing that Jesus, again, is more than a humble, suffering servant and savior. He's the beginning and the end. He's God Almighty. He's all-powerful. He's the holy and righteous judge of all of mankind. So what did he see when he turned? He heard his voice, he turns, he looks, what does he see? Look what it says. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Now when we get to verse 20, as I said before, Revelation is not a hard book to understand. Most of the things that are referred to, about two-thirds of the verses in Revelation, are referring to something that's already been spoken of in the Old Testament, so we understand its meaning. Most of the rest of the verses are interpreted in the book of Revelation themselves. So we can take it literally, and and there are some things that are imagery, and we'll, we'll see that when it comes. But I want you to know, this is not a hard book to understand. It's the unveiling, not the hiding of Jesus Christ, amen? It's not some book he gave us, we all sit around and go, dude, this is impossible, I can't figure this out. You know, that's not it. And so to make it very clear, the seven golden lampstands, when we get to verse 20, are the churches, That's what it's talking about. 
They're the seven churches. So John, turning to see Jesus, first sees the lampstands that are surrounding him. I think it's awesome that we as the church are to be the light of the world. And that often, before people even see our Savior, they see his bride. And I pray that we as his bride would attract people to the Savior. Amen? That as we represent him, what a heavy responsibility that is. It feels so unworthy to even do that. But that's why we're called Christians. We're followers of Christ. We are to be reflections of him. And so even in heaven, you see the seven golden lampstands surrounding Jesus Christ in heaven. You know, in the Old Testament, in the tabernacle, and then later when you get to the temple, the holy place has the golden lampstand within it that brought light. And it was to be cared for by the priest. The light was never allowed to go out. Jesus is the light of the world, and we are to be reflections of him. One of my favorite sta- sayings is, you know, be the moon. What does the moon do? It reflects the sun. You know, we look at the moon and it's shining bright. It wouldn't shine like that if the sun wasn't shining on it. And guys, the only way we can shine brightly, the only way we can be the moon is to reflect not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N. Amen? So as the church, we're called to draw others to him. But watch this. In the midst of the, look what it says. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the son of man. How John's heart must have leapt as he saw Jesus in the midst of the golden lampstands. And I love that we see Jesus in the midst of his church. Do you know that the Lord is with us in the midst of his people this morning? You know, we come here every week. He's the guest of honor. It's all about him. He's the one we praise. He's the one we worship. And if he wasn't here, you know, throw some horns on the wall and call it the Elks Club. It's not church, amen? We're here because the Lord is here. We gather together to spend time in his presence, to seek his face, to get to know Jesus better. And so in the midst of the lampstands is Jesus Christ. He's here this morning receiving our worship and speaking to us through his word. Now, that term son of man, you see that in the Old Testament. I'm just going to read to you. You can look it up later. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel's having a vision. Verse 13 and 14, it says, I was watching in a night vision, and behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days. They brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. That's speaking of Jesus some 700 plus years earlier. He is the son of man. He's the son of God and he's the son of man. He was fully God and he was fully man. And he is the fulfillment. He is the Messiah. And he looks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands and he sees the son of man, the one who was and is the Messiah. Now we have one of the only two physical descriptions of Jesus in heaven in all of scripture. I just read one to you in Daniel, and now here it comes in Revelation. When we get to heaven, here's what Jesus is going to look like. You wonder what he looks like in heaven? This is it. Look what it says. Clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about his chest a golden band. Jesus is wearing a robe with a golden band. In the Old Testament, and even the New Testament, these were priestly garments. 
and they were white and clean. And you know why? Because why is Jesus wearing a priestly garment in heaven? Because he is our great high priest. Amen? Now, what does the priest do? He intercedes between man and God, and he intercedes between God and man. Jesus came representing God to man, and now he's in heaven interceding with the Father on behalf of man. He is our great high priest. And so there's the reminder of who he is. And then it speaks of a golden band. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the priest wore a robe and had a sash around it that had gold thread woven into it. But Jesus is the greater high priest and has a solid gold band. And praise God that, can you believe that he's praying for you? He's interceding for you. Next time you think you're alone, remember who's on your side. When I was a youth pastor, kids used to, I don't know if they still say this, but kids used to say, oh, your homie got my back. You know, so-and-so got my back. Well, he's my friend, he's got my back. You know what? Jesus Christ got my back. How about that? Amen? He's on our side. He's for us. He's not against us. He is our great high priest. He's perfect, all-powerful, all-holy, all-righteous, almighty God, and he's on our side. We need to be reminded of that. Now, what else does he look like in heaven? He's wearing this long robe. He's clothed in this garment down to his feet. He's girded about with a golden band. And then it says, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. You know, white hair in scripture speaks of maturity. Makes me feel better about the fact that I'm going gray. But it speaks of our Lord's wisdom and his timelessness. He always has been. He always will be. He is the all-knowing, all-powerful God. And then it says there, speaking of, of, the, of his hair, it's white as snow. It's white as wool, as white as snow. And Isaiah 118 says, Though your sins were like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Jesus is in heaven, having triumphed over sin and death. And you know what? We see that he's clothed in white that our sins are washed away, and you and I too one day will be clothed, we're clothed in his righteousness now, we'll be clothed in his righteousness in, in heaven. Now look what it says about his eyes. His eyes like a flame of fire. Now this is good and bad. Do you know that Jesus sees everything? Even when he was on earth and he took on humanity, remember when he met Nathaniel, what did he tell him? You know, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. What? Now, Nathaniel was contemplating, Jesus saw him. And you know, Jesus, though he took on humanity, was still fully God. He sees all things. Now, sometimes that's not so good for us, amen? Huh? Well, I don't like that. He saw me fighting with my wife. I don't like, you know, he saw me. But you know what? Here's the good news. He keeps his eyes on you because he loves you so much. And his eyes are like flames of fire. In the Bible, Fire speaks of, of righteous judgment. And he is the righteous judge. And he sees all things. His desire is that none should perish, no, not one. But for those who reject the free gift of salvation, there will be righteous judgment. We've got to understand the unveiling of Christ. He is the suffering servant, but he's also the righteous judge. Then it says that his feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. His feet were glowing in purity like heated metal. Do you get this picture? This white robe, this white hair as white as snow, golden band, his eyes like flames of fire, his feet just 
bright, like melt, you know, like, again, they've been in a furnace and heated up. And, and he's looking. Now, this is not the Jesus he saw walking on earth. This is Jesus in all of his glory. And I believe that when we get to heaven, it's going to blow us away because it's hard to put into words the glory of God. It's going to be even greater still. And then he says this, his voice as the sound of many waters. Jesus' voice had the power and the majesty of a mighty waterfall. I don't know if you've ever been by a waterfall, but it's pretty majestic and it's pretty powerful. You stand near it, I mean, water will just knock you silly, and you get near a real big waterfall, it's just amazing. And the voice of God comes out with majesty and with power, it's awe inspiring. And when he saw the Savior, he saw him in his glory. And when he heard his voice, it just would, as we're about to see, bring him to his knees. Now, as he's looking at the Lord, what else does he see? Verse 16, he had in his right hand seven stars. Now, we're going to see later that the stars speak of the leaders of the seven churches. It's mentioned back in verse 11 as well. The stars are securely in his hand. The number seven is the number of completion as he holds the whole church in his hands. And then it says, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. Now, is John speaking of something purely symbolic or something he's actually seeing? Whether seen or John simply being pierced by his word, the sword is his word. It says in Ephesians six seventeen, speaking of the armor of God, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It speaks of it being a sharp two-edged sword because you can't handle that weapon without cutting yourself. Guys, we cannot open this book and not be affected by it if we really open it up and allow God to speak to us. Amen? Now, I've shared this analogy before. Sometimes opening the Bible is the hardest thing to do because the enemy doesn't want you to do it. I used to relate it to going to the gym. You know, after a long day at work, you come home and you're sitting in your lazy boy recliner and you're drinking a Coke or whatever you're drinking and and you're just kind of relaxing after a long day and dinner's cooking and it smells pretty good. Going to the gym? Yeah, not so much. (laughs) Uh, I'll go tomorrow. My problem was never, I love working out. Just getting to the gym was the hard part. Once you got there, you, I, I always enjoyed it. I always felt better when I was done. I know it's a weak analogy, but the word of God, so often the hardest part is just opening it up. But once we open it up, aren't you blessed every single time? Aren't you encouraged to minister to and exhort it and even rebuke sometimes? That's why I encourage all of us to have a set time to read God's word. Because if you're just going to read it whenever it's, if you just went to the gym when you felt like it, you'd never get there. But if you had a set time to go and you had someone waiting to meet you there, you might show up once in a while. And the same is true of God's word. Have a time of, in the word with your family, have a time set aside that you might meet him there. The word of God impacts those who handle it and those who hear it. And now watch this part. Speaking of the Lord. It says there, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. The glory of Jesus is so great and so bright that it's hard to even look upon him. I imagine, John, I don't know, but I imagine him kind of looking upon the Lord like this. I imagine him just kind of trying to see because he shined so brightly that he was unable to look fully upon his glory. Again, it happened at the Mount of Transfiguration 
At his first coming, his, veil, his glory was veiled, but at his second sum, coming, his glory is veiled no more. Now, one of the things I, I do see in this text, we're going to talk about this in a moment, but these stars represent the, the messengers to the churches. Now, some say those are angels over each church. Most believe, and I'm include, included in that, he's speaking of maybe the senior pastor of each church. And he's talking about how they're being held in the Lord's hand. But I want you to notice something. When he looks upon the Lord, he doesn't see the stars, but he sees Jesus shining brightly. Because when he's shining brightly, you don't notice the stars, you notice Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that as Christians, that people wouldn't see us, they would see Jesus. They wouldn't see the man or the method, they would see the Lord because he should shine brighter than anything else that is in his hand. It's God alone that all the glory should be given. Now, everything in this vision speaks of strength and majesty and authority and righteousness. This is an impressive difference between the vision of Jesus. You know, can I say this? I'm just going to share my heart with you. I'm sick and tired of Jesus being portrayed as some weak-kneed, wimpy, effeminate whatever. Do you know what I'm talking about? You see pictures of Jesus and he looks like, first of all, when he was on earth, what was his job? He was a carpenter. How many wimpy construction workers do you know? (laughs) And it's believed he probably worked with stones. I believe Jesus on earth was yoked, okay? And they found these pictures and he's just this wimpy. Now that's not our savior, amen? But guess what? In heaven... Guys, the picture of Jesus in heaven, he is not a wimpy, little, defeated, oh, not, that's not our Savior. He's almighty, all-powerful, all-righteous, all-holy, and shining brighter than the sun. That's our Savior. And when we look upon him, we're going to respond the way that John does in the next verse, next couple of verses. We're going to see how he responds. We need to stop thinking about Jesus the way he was and think about him the way he is. Now, praise God he came as a baby in a manger, amen? We should celebrate Christmas, the birth of our Savior, that Almighty God would come to earth in the form of a baby. We must never forget the cross of Calvary and the suffering as he took on the sin of all mankind upon himself. We must never forget Easter Sunday, that he... You know, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming, that he rose from the dead, that he triumphed over sin and death. But guys, he is a baby in a manger no more. He is a savior on a cross no more. The cross is empty, and so is the tomb. He's risen, amen? And when you think of Jesus Christ, think of him the way he's portrayed in Revelation chapter one. All-powerful, almighty, shining like the noonday sun. It ought to impact us to truly see Jesus the way that he is. Paul said, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. We don't see him according to the way he was upon the earth. We need to start to see him for who he is. Now watch how he responds having seen Jesus. Look at verse 17. And when I saw him, and the next point in getting to know Jesus in a deeper way is by coming to him in brokenness and desperation, in all of his greatness, look what it says. And when I saw him, I had a bunch of questions that I needed answered. We've all heard people say that, right? When I get to heaven, if there's a God, and he and I are going to have a talk. 
Yeah, I don't think so, pal. Look what it says here. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. This is a typical response of someone who has seen visions of God on his throne or even angelic beings. They've all fainted away as dead. Isaiah 6, Daniel 10. What's awesome to me is that John, who had walked in intimate fellowship with Jesus for three plus years, who rested his head on his chest, who was the last apostle of the cross, who had cared for his mom, who shared with him after he had, saw him after he had risen, who spent time with him until his ascension, who wrote the gospel of John, who could be argued knew Jesus as well as anyone who ever lived, and yet when he got a glimpse of his glory, he fell over like a dead man. Jesus in his glory is far more awesome than we'll ever imagine. Being personal, I, I, you know, I don't try to use myself as illustrations too often. And if I do, I should talk about what a knuckle I had in more often than anything else. But when I was in the back of that ambulance seven months ago, the last chapter I taught was this one. And I heard the, you know, the fire chief say to my wife, anybody you want to have see him alive, get him to the hospital. Then I'm in the ambulance and I hear him talking they're stuffing nitroglycerin down my throat because they're worried that I'm dying of a heart attack. It wasn't that. It was gallstones when I got to the doctor. We know the rest of the story. But I'm hearing them talk, and they're worried about when I'm going to make it to the hospital. And I flashed immediately to this chapter. And I was praying for my family, but I was thinking, I'm going to see him soon. And I was excited. I thought, I'm going to see him face to face. And I'm going to fall before him like a dead man, just like John did. And I can't wait. You know, guys, there's a peace in knowing Jesus Christ. There's a peace when you don't have any clue that your life could be cut that short. Here's the truth. The results are in. One out of every one person dies. Amen? And you're going to die one day. And whether it happens a lot sooner than you think, or you live to be 120, at some point, you're going to stand before Jesus Christ. And you're either going to be... Now, do you think John, when he saw Jesus, was pretty glad that he was saved? He saw him and fell over as a dead man, but he had to be thinking, oh, thank you, Lord, that I know you. Amen? He saw him in all of his glory, and he recognized, that's my Savior. That's my Lord. And praise God that I know him. If you're here this morning and you don't know him, you're still going to see him and you're still going to fall before him. But instead of watching what happens next to John, instead of receiving grace, you're going to receive righteous judgment because God can't have sin in heaven or he's got earth part two. Jesus in his glory is far more awesome than we could imagine. And those, who don't, those again who think that they're going to get to heaven and question Jesus, they got another thing coming. Dead at his feet. Boy, if you know him, that's a good place to be. At the feet of Jesus, dead to yourself. Amen? That's a great place to be. Now watch how the Lord responds. The next point is in having a deeper walk with Jesus by allowing him to minister to you. So he falls over in front of the Lord as a dead man because that's what we should do. We're sinners in desperate need of a Savior. We've been redeemed and forgiven, but to be in His presence will bring us to the end of ourselves. And how does Jesus respond to Him? Look what it says. But He laid His right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. 
I was imagining this scene when I was in that ambulance. I thought, I'm going to fall in front of him, but praise God for his grace that he's going to reach down and touch me. You know what? Every one of us, we were dead in our trespasses and sins until Jesus Christ reached down and touched us. Amen? We didn't jump up and grab him. He reached down and touched us. And aren't you glad? Born again, going to heaven by his grace. Dead at his feet, Jesus touches him. We're all dead until he touches us. And he says again, I am the first and the last. And he, do not be afraid. You know, do not be afraid. While seeing him will no doubt have the same effect on all of us, no one here who knows Jesus need ever be afraid. Amen? We don't need to be afraid of death. Be praying this afternoon. I'm going to a funeral. Um, several of us from here are. One of my dear friends who pastors Calvary Half Moon Bay, his wife went to be with the Lord a few weeks ago. They've been married. They've, they've been, they were high school sweethearts. Married 28 years. Wife got cancer. She's in heaven. He has a peace about that. But at the same time, you know, what a hard thing. But praise God that we know where his sweet wife is. She's in heaven. And we don't need to be afraid of death. You know, the world says that two things that, that the world fears the most is death and public speaking. And you know what? I can praise God to say that I don't have to fear either one. Because in both cases, God is with us. Amen? If we speak for him, he's with you. And he'll speak through you. Not because you're so eloquent, but because he's so gracious. And guys, when, when death comes, death has no sting for the believer. And notice what he says in verse 18. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Jesus, now, now, amen to that or what? Jesus has triumphed over sin and death. If you haven't underlined that verse in your Bible, you should fix that. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. Now, what's the result of him triumphing over sin and death? Here's what he says. I have the keys of Hades, that's hell, and of death. Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, has defeated the two enemies of man, hell and death. Hell is where everyone in this room deserves to go. Amen? I get arguments with that. People come, I don't deserve to go to hell. Bro, stop. Yes, you do. People just get mad. I can't believe you told me I deserve to go to hell. So you don't? Are you a sinner? I've had people argue with me, well, I'm not a sinner, dude. You just sinned again. That's prideful. <laughs> You're a sinner right now. Yes, you are a sinner. Amen? How many sins does it take to be a sinner? Yeah, how many murders does it take to be a murderer? One. And guess what? One sin in heaven, you got earth part two. God is perfect and holy. You can't have sin in his presence. We don't deserve it. What we deserve is hell, but it's grace that gives us heaven. Because he took his sin, our sin, upon himself, and he died in my place that I might have eternal life. He has taken the keys to hell and to death. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we see that's in heaven, that picture of him. His hair is white as snow because he's pure and he's holy and he's righteous and he's God and he's in control. And guess what? He's our dad. He's our brother, Jesus. We're his bride. He's our, he's our groom. Guys, I pray, if you don't leave here encouraged this morning, you're not paying attention. <laughs> For those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, death has no sting 
and we will never experience hell. Aren't you glad? I had a kid, a radical kid one time down in Southern California. I used to go street witnessing with this guy, and I had to be careful because he was radical. And uh, he was a big guy, big bodybuilder, and, and he really liked to witness to kids who were kind of on the fringe. And we met this one kid out by the movie theater, and, and this kid was saying, I ain't afraid of hell. You know, I'll just be shaking hands with all my friends. It'll be cool. I'm going to be the bartender in hell. And this big guy, his name was Scott, I'll never forget it. He goes, really, you're not afraid of hell, really? He grabs this kid's hand like this, hard as he could. And this guy's a bot, you're not get, if he grabs you, you're not getting away. He pulls a lighter out of his pocket, and he sticks it under the kid's hand and holds it there. And you can start smelling flesh burning. And I'm like, dude, Scott, you're going to be in jail, bro. You can't be burning kids' hands, man. What are you doing? But after, you know, a few seconds, the kid's going, ah, right? And then Scott, you know, he held him there for like 10 seconds, man. I'm like, dude. And so he finally lets go. And he's like, well, why did you have a problem with that? He's like, well, man, you were burning my hand. He goes, dude, hell is head to toe flames for all eternity with no relief. You couldn't take a flame on the palm of your hand for five seconds. Don't tell me you're not afraid of hell. It's pretty heavy, huh? You know what? If we all experienced hell for a second, That'd be enough. You see the story of Lazarus and the rich man in Luke 16. And the rich man's in hell. He's in torment. And he looks across. He's like, could you just put a drop of water on my tongue? Give me a little relief. Guys, we need to know that hell is real because we have people we love who are headed there. And sometimes we're afraid to share our faith because they might think something of us. And I'm like, you know, I can't, you know. And they might ask me where Cain got his wife and I won't know, so I won't say anything or whatever, Right? But here's the reality. The reality is that that's the enemy who wants us to be quiet. Because he's going to hell and he wants to take as many people there with him as he can. Help us, Lord, to not be ashamed. When I get to heaven, I know I'm going to be grieved that I wasn't more bold in my faith. Lord, help us. And then finally, how do we get to know Jesus better in a deeper way? By heeding his instructions. Look at verse 19. Write the things which you have seen and the things which you are, which are, and the things which will take place after this. This is the outline for the book of Revelation. The things which you have seen, that's chapter one. The things which are, that's chapters two and three, the church age. And then the things which will take place after this. That's chapter four through 22, speaking of future events. So if you want the outline for the book of Revelation, chapter one, things which you have seen. Chapter 2 and 3, things which are the church age, that's what we're in, from the time Jesus ascends into heaven until he raptures the church, that's the church age. Then, from chapter 4 on, he's going to be told, John's going to be told to come up here, picture of the rapture, and after these things, the word there is metateo, after this, there's something new that takes place. So that's the outline, Revelation 119 is the outline for this book. And then he says, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels, so the word is also messengers, of the seven churches. So again, if we don't understand what it says, if there's no Old Testament reference to it, he explains it to us. So the stars are the angels or messengers of the seven churches, either an angel that oversees the church or the pastor of the church. And I believe it's the latter, which makes me tremble in my boots every day. And the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. Again, Jesus 
makes it very clear to us and explains to us what each thing means. As we go through the book of Revelation, we're not going to have to wonder. He makes it clear to us. He explains it to us. When the explanation is not found in the Old Testament, he will give it to us. So, the glory of God. Are you excited to see him? Me too. I can't wait. Um, I'm glad I'm still here. Uh, you know, I was ready to go to heaven, and I was praying. I was praying in the ambulance for some some that are close to me that aren't walking with the Lord. And my prayer was, Lord, if my going to heaven will get their attention, then let's do this. But also, you know, I have a wife and a family, and I I want to serve the Lord until it's time. You know, as Paul said, far better for me to be in heaven, and that's true for all of us. Amen. Far better to be in heaven. But if he has more he wants to do through us, let's be faithful while we're here. So in closing, getting to know Jesus in a deeper way, by remaining steadfast in the word, even in the midst of trials and persecution, by walking in the spirit, being sensitive to the spirit, by listening for his voice, by seeing Jesus for who he is in all his glory, by coming to him in brokenness and desperation in all of his greatness, by allowing him to minister to you, and finally, by heeding his instructions, sharing what we have learned with others. When this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Our job is our mission field. Our neighborhood's our mission field. Our household's our mission field. Everywhere we go, when we walk out of this door, we don't just go witnessing, we are witnesses. Lord, help us to recognize not only are we forgiven and the future that we have, but to be burdened for those who don't know him yet. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your word. And Lord, we can't wait. We are so longing for heaven. But Lord, in the meantime, I pray as we focus on heaven, that our heart would be to reach out to the world around us. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, I pray they would recognize that while salvation is offered as a free gift, it's offered universally to everyone. It must be accepted individually. And what, as every head is bowed, as you continue to pray, if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. I know for sure that one day I'm going to see Jesus face to face and I'm going to fall over like a dead man in front of him, but he's going to touch me and say, I need not be afraid. Not because I'm some great guy, I'm a sinner but because I've been forgiven. And I was only forgiven because I responded to the gospel. And if you're here this morning, you've never done that. You can know for sure that you're going to heaven. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you want to know for sure that you're going to heaven, if you want to know for sure that when you see him one day, he will touch you and say, do not be afraid. If that is your desire, recognizing you're a sinner, you want to be forgiven, I want you to stand to your feet so I can pray for you. Anybody here at all? Don't worry about anybody else around you. He hung on a cross for you. You can stand up for him. Anybody. God bless you. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? Today's a day of salvation. It's eternity. Anybody else? Lord loves you. 
He'd rather die than live without you, and he proved it. Anybody else? If you're standing, I just want you to pray this out loud with me. Don't be ashamed. He loves you, and we all love you too. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning, and I confess that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. Make me a new creation. I believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he died for my sins, that he rose from the dead, and he's coming back. Help me to walk with you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Thank you for forgiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's all stand. Let's all stand and close the worship song. Hey, guys, the Bible, you've heard me say this before. The Bible says when one person gives their life to Jesus Christ, that all the angels in heaven rejoice. That means there's a party up in heaven, and there ought to be one in this room right now. Let's worship the Lord. Amen.